it's me, it's me, it's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James, and by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass, Billy Gunn, together we are the New Age Outlaws, and you're listening to the VOC Nation, and if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you, suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling With History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, In The Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at vocnation.com. And subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. VOC Nation Radio Network Wrestling with History back again. The voice of choice, Bruce Wirt, Killer Ken Resnick. This is the refreshed format of Wrestling with History. We're five weeks into this. We're going all the way back to the 1980s. We're starting with 1983, looking at each year in long form. Sometimes we do a few weeks, sometimes we do a few months. It depends on the year. And I am so excited to uh, see the success of this show. So our listeners have grown into the tens of thousands for the reformatted show. We're climbing up the iTunes charts. You can listen on VOC Nation, of course, or anywhere you get your favorite podcast. So or your, anywhere you get your podcast on your favorite app. So just look for VOC Nation Radio Network and then find us wrestling with history, whether it's Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to get your podcast. I like to encourage you to rate and review us as well. Tell us if you hate us, but hopefully you tell us that you love us and you give us five stars. Voice of choice, Bruce Wirt, and I am here with my co-host and friend. He's digging out of, uh, I think, 42 feet of snow up there in Minnesota, Killer Ken Resnick. What's up, Ken? Uh, I'm good, Bruce. How are you? Although I, I, I'm a little nervous when you started the show this, saying this is a refreshed version Generally, in this day and age of technology, when I, all else fails, they say, well, if you try to refresh the page. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, you know, we started wrestling with history. For those of you that are new to the show, we started doing, I guess we were like any other podcast, except we were live and we took calls. And I think most people don't like to listen to live shows. So we tried the sports talk radio format. You know, we got some callers, but it just wasn't exactly what we wanted it to be. We had some great guests, and you can go back in the archives. They're all there. Tito Santana, General Adnan LKC, uh, Barry Darso, just a ton of great people that we had on. But we started this new format because 
fans were asking, well, we want to hear about what Ken thinks. We want to hear about Ken's experience on the inside. We want to go back to the 80s when wrestling was wonderful. So we came up with this con concept to start really at the birth of Hulkamania, 1983, and really look year by year at what happened in pro wrestling. And so far, so good. Tens of thousands of you are tuning in. You're giving us good scores. You're giving us feedback. And we're going to continue to do it. And the cool thing is, Ken, based on the success of not only this show, but all of the other shows on VOC Nation, you know, we have people like Shelly Martinez and the maestro from WCW, Sassy Steffi, Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks. There's a whole host of great hosts at VOC Nation, and we're moving. We're moving to AdvertiseCast. So that is the same platform, um, which is Megaphone, is the name of the platform that hosts the really, really big guys, the so Westwood One and Radio.com, and right up there next to all of those uh, top-notch networks is VOC Nation. So we're really excited about this move. It'll start November 1st. Uh, you can still find us by searching VOC Nation on the app. Nothing will change. But great move, Ken. And it's all based on the success and our wonderful listeners that are continuing to pour in. I, I know I'm dating myself. I feel just like George Jefferson. Moving on up. <laughs> Moving on up. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. But uh, again, you know, we appreciate your listenership. We appreciate your feedback. And you can give us feedback either on Twitter at Bruce VOC. So the network is at VOC Nation, just so you know that. This show you can get to at Bruce VOC. Or I, I actually troll the internet or scan the internet looking for comments and coverage for this show. So if you're on like 411 Mania or WrestleZone or PW Insider and they have a comment box, we get your comments there too. So we'll read those. You can also send an email to Bruce at VOCNation.com. And today, after we look back and we, we recap some of the feedback we got from last week, we asked the fans to rebook 1984 and tell us who Vince McMahon would have gone with to uh, take the WWF National if Hulk Hogan had re-signed with the AWA. So Ken and I will rebook 84 and we'll talk about it ourselves, but we'll, uh, we'll give your feedback as well. And Ken, would you like to start by getting some feedback from last week when we talked about you uh, saying how Vince McMahon wasn't quite as bad of a guy as people thought he was. And I think you also had some heat on the dog collar match from AEW. <laughs> Fire one ready. <laughs> All right. This is from Vegas Dunk. Uh, he says, God, he is completely so right about the lack of selling being a problem in today's wrestling. By he, I think he means Ken. And I very much enjoyed the dog collar match, but it may be the one thing about AEW that bothers me more than anything else. He's talking about the lack of selling. What do you think about that, Ken? Do you think people sell less today than they did back in the 80s? Well, I, I, th I think absolutely. And <clears throat> I know, Bruce, you and I have talked about it. But I, I think one of the reasons for that is because there is now so much money involved and guaranteed. In the old days, guys used to sell because it made the matches better, which made the houses better, which made everyone's payoff better. Now guys are generally working on 
guaranteed contracts. So, and I mean, right now there there are no houses. It's all television. But with the guaranteed contracts, they're a little more concerned about their own image than the match. And also, you know, when you mentioned the great guests, a while back we had legendary, you know, trainer, wrestler, and referee Eddie Sharkey on. And in the discussion, Eddie talked about, you know, in the old days with the small towns, guys would spend hours and hours together in cars going from, from town to town. And it's like anything, you, when you're with someone, not only, you know, at the arena, but in cars, at hotels, you develop a rapport and relationships are established and subconsciously you want to make sure your friend looks as good as you do in the match. And I think the combination of, of both of those things being lost, uh, you know, has resulted in a lack of selling. And I mean, what, what gets me is not only so many, you know, repetitive and telegraph moves and Bruce, you and I've talked about some matches, you see high spot after high spot after high spot. Well, in the old days, if somebody had a high spot, you know, your opponent sold it and it gave the, you know, crowd a time to become invested in the match. Now you'll see sometimes four, five, six high spots within the, the space of a, a minute and a half. Sure. Yeah, well, high spots and they're not, it's like a high spot just to have a high spot. You know, they're not, yeah. it's not really part of the psychology of the match. And and really the thing that I hate the most, not that anybody cares, but I hate, but it's like, you know, in the old days when, when there was a high spot and, the, and, you know, guys would be out there catching each other outside the ring, it wasn't so rehearsed, you know, so choreographed where they're just standing around waiting, but that's really what it is. You got you know, six people outside the ring just standing there waiting for the guy to jump at them. It just takes away the, uh, the realism. Yeah. It's like the, the philosophy has gone so far away from pro wrestling to sports entertainment. It's almost like the, the same philosophy of Cirque du Soleil where you want to keep the audience entertained, you know, every second. And they don't really need to, to think about what they just saw. They just enjoy what they just saw. And, and you know, the, the next movement, you know, or I mean, for lack of a better term, I don't know what they call it in, in the Cirque du Soleil or circus world, you know, is the next high spot where it's, that philosophy has almost taken over wrestling where you, in the old day, I mean, you never see, you know, someone just wearing down their opponent, you know, with a hold because today that would be considered absolutely boring. And it's got to be one entertainment moment after another, after another, after another. Agree. And, and I think... It's, uh, you know, certainly, you know, way easier said than done. But when I do watch today, I, I keep thinking there's got to be a way to mold 
you know, the two of them together where, yes, it's got to be entertaining. Yes, there needs to be a fair amount of high spots, but there's got to be a way to bring back the psychology of a match and within that body of, of high spots and entertainment, get the fans themselves more invested, not only in the talent, but in the ongoing match itself. And that's kind of, to me, what's sad that's really been lost. Yeah, so I, I agree with Vegas wholeheartedly. Even, even if, I mean, if you look at some of the matches with like the older Hardy brothers matches, Jeff and Matt Hardy and, and Edge and Christian, the old TLC matches or ladder matches in WWE, the high spots were weaved in as, as part of the match. They were, they were large elements of the match. You know, they really meant something and it's, they weren't just doing it every single match just to do it. Uh, moving on. Eggplant says that Ken Resnick was pretty spot on with his criticism of the match. So there you go. Kudos to you, Ken. Uh, Space Cowboy. I get his criticism of the dog collar match, but nobody should question Cody's willingness to bleed. It's kind of become his thing in AEW. Well, Ken, I don't think that you were questioning his willingness. I think you were saying that it was so weird how all of a sudden he was cleaned up in about five minutes after the match. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even five minutes. I, I, I mean, I, I think it was great, and I, you're right. And if anybody you know wants to go back and listen to the show, I never, ever questioned the effort, the bleeding, any of that. My criticism was as soon as this supposedly, you know, devastating career threatening type of match was over was like in about a minute and a half there wasn't a mark on Cody and he was giving this you know high passion interview um, you know I mean in the old days he would have barely been able to to stand and have been out of breath and even after all that they don't even give the fans time to invest in what they saw They've got, uh, uh, I, 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 I again apologize. <laughs> Orange, Cassidy. Orange, Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy. Cassidy. I was going to say, I kept, I kept thinking the old Denver Broncos and Orange Crush. Orange. But I mean, <laughs> here, here he'd had this just devastating, you know, supposedly match, you know, and suddenly here's Orange Cassidy coming out and challenging him and accepting it, and they're promoing you know, next week, and, you know, the the fans should have at least had time to digest the, the effort they just got from Brody Lee and Cody Rhodes, and suddenly there's not a mark on them, and they're already, you know, on to, you know, his next challenger, you know, next week. And, and I, I guess I, I kind of go... In in real life, if you've just had that kind of match and you should be so physically and emotionally spent, you're not going to accept the next challenge in, in, you know, in like one second. It, it's just, you know, I some of it, I, I, I stand there and go, it, it's almost some of the stuff, you know, being done, 
not only takes away from from the the effort and the match in some ways it's almost like self defeating but you know i i i thought the you know i said the the match you know was great the effort was there but it was like you know a, a minute later it was like the match never happened <laughs> yeah no totally uh, and that's it's again you know you're preaching to the choir ken that's my that's not just AEW. That is modern professional wrestling. But be careful because people like D Unit get very upset when you criticize AEW. D Unit says, "Why is Ken Resnick? Uh, why is Ken Resnick talking about AEW so much? I haven't heard anything from him in thirty years, and now all of a sudden he's criticizing AEW every week." D Unit, he's well, upset with you, Ken. Well, one of the reasons he didn't hear anything was I wasn't on a podcast. <laughs> Very easy I mean, answer. Exactly. I, I had a lot of friends. Uh, and again, you know, let's keep everything in context. One of the reasons, you know, I criticize where, you know, giving my opinion is that I try and watch AEW because it's a decent, good product right. you, you don't hear me saying you know criticizing wwe's product today is because i don't watch it very much so you know it, 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 it at least grasp the concept where i you know i'm impressed enough where i try and watch it i i you know they've been publicizing the stock collar match i was curious i made a point to watch it and you know one of the other things that we've been you know, talking about the the lack of psychology, I I was just thinking, uh, and I I greatly admire the way he 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 calls a match. You know, one of uh, Jim Ross's patented lines he used to use uh, back in the day was, as you'd be you know going up into to high risk territory or you know a high spot was coming. You know, he used to say, "Business is about to pick up." Mm-hmm. Uh, and he never gets a chance to use that because there's never enough downtime. It's like the match starts and, and there's no way for it to pick up because it never drops. <laughs> spot after spot after spot. Not telling a story like they did back in the old day. SR Test says, I also didn't agree regarding the need to keep the bloodbath going. The thing is, wrestling has become so subjugated to the networks and broadcast companies that nothing is allowed to breathe. I totally agree on that front. And the rise of the elite happened outside of TV land because things had room to grow and show. And I think he's talking about, you know, before AEW had a TV deal, they did this uh, being the elite or rise of the elite broadcast on YouTube. And they would just let it play out uh, in long form over time. And, uh, you know, now it's it's week after week, episodic television. And that's uh, how professional wrestling has uh, evolved or devolved to. And, and again, I wasn't at all criticizing the, the blood in the match. My only criticism where it was good, it was great, something you don't see all that much, but you know, within one minute of the match ending, it was all, it had all dissipated. It was, you know, like it never happened. You know, that's what I'm saying. It, you know, and again, I, I think back to, my days, especially in the AWA, when guys would, you know, get cut open or, or bleed during a match, even though the interviews, you know, we would do that night from the old St. Paul Civic Center, 
were, you know, well after the matches, you know, the crowd would leave. Um, the guys kept the, uh, the blood was, was still on their face or, or their bodies, you know, just to continue telling the story of what happened. So I was not at all criticizing what took place during the match. I was just saying I was just shocked when, you know, one minute after there wasn't a trace of anything that everyone had just seen. Yep, absolutely. Oh, Antonio Figueroa, 50-50 booking during the age of one megastar and a bunch of other guys didn't work. In modern wrestling, you need 50-50 booking. You can't have designated winners and losers. There's too many stars to have so many of them be buried. This is, uh, you know, thank you for the comment, Antonio. But I don't know if I agree with one megastar and a bunch of other guys because, you know, Hulk Hogan at his peak, and I was a WWF guy, I wouldn't call Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat and Jake Roberts and Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant a bunch of other guys. Uh, I think that that was a bunch of megastars that all played off of each other. Oh, you're absolutely right. And it's been a, a philosophical change, at least in the WWE, where they've gone away from building the, the megastars. And, and and you're right. I mean, you know, every angle back then, I mean, it, it was, you know, all of those guys. And plus, you know, Paul Orndorff. I mean, there were just huge. It was almost there were more stars than not. And it was done through yeah, some squash matches, you know, on TV. But the booking was to build these stars that people wanted to buy a ticket and, and come see, you know, uh, Hulk or Andre or the macho man or Roddy, Roddy Piper, Jake, the snake, Ricky, the dragon, Paul Orndorff. I mean, I mean, you know, we had Georgie animal steel. I mean, they built, it's the exact opposite of what he was saying. They built huge stars. And now today it's more, the the 50-50 booking along with kind of a default position that, I, I mean, on TV, there are some nights where the majority of the matches end from some type of outside interference. Sure. And, and I think the philosophy now is when we do put uh, you know, two of our bigger names or, or stars together. If we use outside interference to decide it, we're we're not really hurting anybody. Right. And and that's very true. But the other side of that coin is by doing that and the fifty-fifty booking, you're not really building any mega stars, <laughs> and it's. Today, it's more of coming to see, you know, or prior to the pandemic, coming to see WWE or, you know, AEW, the brand, as opposed to coming to see the stars. And I always used to say, you know, in, in the old days, 
every, every card we talked about, you know, was always a small printing card subject to change. And back in those days, if for whatever reason, you know, one of the, the big stars, you know, weren't there, the crowd really would get upset. And I mean, even now you hear once in a while on a pay-per-view at the last minute, they had to switch so-and-so for so-and-so for whatever reason. Nobody is really upset because there's nobody that they're tuning in to specifically see like there was in the old days. And, you know, I can remember, you know, back then all the interviews were, you know, sometimes we would do 75 to 100 interviews in the day where we would go in the town. And I can remember many, many times I'd be in a city at an airport in the hotel. Someone might recognize me and say, oh, are you guys in town? And I'd say, yeah, we're at, you know, the arena tonight. And it would always then be followed up like, oh, is Hulk on the card? Or, or is the Macho Man here? Or, or is Roddy Piper going to be there? That they, even people that, were not passionate wrestling fans, just casual, where they didn't know there was a show in town that night, would always ask about one or two specific stars. Like, was Hulk Hogan going to be there? Which you could interpret, well, if Hulk's going to be there, I'm going to try and go. Or if Roddy Piper's going to be there, I, I want to try and go and see him. And I don't think uh, anyone <clears throat> has built that type of must-see star right. today. Well, I think Antonio is, is is one of the few, and I say few, but there's probably a, a million or two that have bought into the way the product is designed today. So they're doing a good job by Antonio of creating a lot of stars. But, you know, to me, it's just a bunch of, I mean, you really have an entire card full of of. of what would be mid Carters back in the, uh, the eighties. Uh, and I'll get and, to saying that. And, and in fairness, what Antonio was saying, a lot of old school fans, you know, like yourself, Bruce may not have liked it, but until the pandemic cut out house shows, I mean, it was working. You know, Monday Night Raw, given the crowd interaction, the signs, everything else, it was an event. So, you know, let's not, you know, I, I, you know, throw the, the baby out with the bathwater that it was working to a degree that, that fans wanted to come and be a part of the Monday Night Raw experience. But then all of a sudden, when you could no longer do that around the country, you know, with 10, 15, sometimes, you know, 18,000 fans, now, well, you need that kind of must-see or you need the must-see stars to get people to want to watch because the experience itself has now been taken out of the equation. All right, final final comment, and that's actually a question before we get into rebooking 1984. And I'm going to preface this by explaining this to everybody. So October 7th, 1986, the Rochester War Memorial Arena, it's now called the Blue Cross Arena, 
It's in Rochester, New York, opening the card as part of a WWF wrestling challenge taping. Brett, the hitman Hart, who was uh, then, I believe he was a member of the Hart Foundation, uh, wrestled a man named Tom McGee. And this famous match was, uh, was really, it, it grew, um, it grew a lot of legs. So, um, you know, hardcore wrestling fans were, have, uh, you know, hunted this down and it's become famous because Tom McGee, who jobbed to Bret Hart in that match, impressed Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson so much that there's people that say that McMahon felt Tom McGee was the next Hulk Hogan. Now, here's the question from Mr. Bean was, and that's the guy's name, Mr. Bean on Twitter. He once he says, is Ken Resnick the only televised interview from Tom McGee? Do you remember that, Ken? Do you remember interviewing Tom McGee? Do you remember the hype around Tom McGee after that match with Bret Hart? Uh, I don't. I'm, I'm guessing I was probably there because I remember we used to stay at a hotel that was only a couple blocks from the old, you know, Rochester War Memorial, which was, you know, a, a bit run down. But, you know, when I was there, it was because we were doing all the interviews. So I was in back and probably didn't even see the match. Uh, so it, it was probably somebody said, hey, do a quick interview with Tom. Let's see, you know, how his interview goes. Uh, so in honesty, I, I, I don't remember it, uh, because it was probably, you know, one of those, okay. And then I had to ask somebody, okay, now who is he, you know, <laughs> why are we doing this? Um, so, uh, evidently I, I must've done it and it, it must've aired, you know, on, on, on one of the shows, but, uh, <clears throat> I don't remember it. I'll, I'll have to go back and see if I can, you know, use my technological skills and try and hunt it down on YouTube. I keep trying to get you a copy of the WWE Network, but you won't take me up on it. But one of these days, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it for you. By the way, before people attack me, Tom McGee defeated Bret Hart in that match. And uh, so, Ken, you don't remember Tom McGee being the talk of the town in the locker room, right? That was uh, that's not something that that you recall uh yeah again and i i'm not any sort of shot against tom mcgee i i just don't you know remember it because you know it's possible that day i may have done you know from 75 to a hundred interviews and you know doing one interview with uh, Tom, who, you know, obviously prior to that match really hadn't caught anybody's eye, you know, going in and doing the one interview just wouldn't have registered with me. Very good. Well, Ken, that brings us to where we're at. That brings us to the subject of the day, which is we've talked, we've been in 1984 for a while, talked a lot about the WWF in 1984 mixed with the AWA. We'll try to get in next week. We'll, we'll cover Starcade, which was the big Jim Crockett event, NWA event uh, in November. But we wanted to rebook 1984 as if Hulk Hogan never left the AWA and he stayed there and Vince still had to take the company national. That's what he was trying to do in the WWF. And 
we did a uh, survey on Twitter. We got over 1,500 votes, um, which, you know, some of you might say that's not a lot. Some people might say that's a very good amount of votes. And we asked people who they thought could have been the centerpiece star in the same way that Hulk Hogan was. And uh, the main choices were Dusty Rhodes, Sergeant Slaughter, Andre the Giant, or a other. Please explain. And 49 0.9% of the vote, Ken, wouldn't have won the presidency, but won this poll. Andre the Giant was uh, overwhelmingly the favorite. Sergeant Slaughter had almost 22% of the vote, followed by Dusty Rhodes. And then we'll go through some of the comments uh, as, we, as we move on through the show. But Andre the Giant as the centerpiece, it was a logical choice for me. But my problem with Andre, and I think Andre is an attraction and probably could have drawn, drawn the houses if they really used him sparingly as a champion. But Andre wouldn't talk people into the building. I think you would have had to have a Lou Albano or somebody like that managing Andre as a face. And Vince McMahon was notoriously a face champion territory, right? Uh, yes. <clears throat> and I, I think, <clears throat> Bruce, you hit the nail on the head when you said Andre <clears throat> could have been <clears throat> the face of the company if they used him sparingly. Well, if you're trying to, you know, undo all these, you know, unwritten rules of, you know, never treading on another territory and take, you know, this company <clears throat> national and generate the kind of TV ratings and revenue you want, you can't use a face of the company sparingly. So I, I think you're 100% right. And to me, that would have eliminated Andre because, you know, he was a huge attraction and, and certainly people would have come to see him. But would they have come to see him a second time? And you're right. You know, even during Andre's interviews, it, it was just, you know, the, the size of this individual that drew people. But, you know, he, he wasn't, you know, again, um, his accent. And Andre was, you know, really more of an introvert. So, as you said, and rightfully so, he wouldn't have been able to talk people into the house or other than his size, sell a lot of tickets. <clears throat> and the, the other thing, uh, back then, people came because they thought, <clears throat> you know, uh, whoever his opponent was, you know, was able to do great interviews. There was always the chance that, you know, Hulk Hogan might get beat. Right. And just Andre's physical size would have kind of taken that out of the equation for, you know, a lot of fans. And again, it was Andre's, and I mean, great guy. Uh, I mean, uh, will always be one of the all-time greats, and you can argue he should, you know, be on the Mount Rushmore of wrestling. But, you know, he wasn't, you know, a, a high flyer, you know, didn't fly around the ring. So, you know, his matches were, you know, not exactly spellbinding to a crowd the way a lot of others could be. Yeah, so really? I, I, 
I, I, I don't think Andre, you know, was certainly a hugely important piece, but I don't think he could have been the man to take it nationally. Yeah, and he was he wrestled a very slow, methodical style, and obviously it got slower and slower as time went on because of his his condition. But you know, Andre had he was fairly mobile for a big man in the seventies. But by the time eighty three, eighty four came around, when Vince really wanted to do what he wanted to do, Andre was um, you know he was slower, and I'm not sure, sure that 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 would have uh, that would have worked out so well. And, and, and again, I mean, I, I was thinking of it, you know, I, I saw the results and I mean, it was, a, it's an, it's an obvious choice, I think, because Andre was with the company and, you know, he was probably the number two star in terms of who they had on the roster. But I was actually thinking, Ken, I could imagine something like that where Andre, you know, beats the iron Sheik in 1984 for the title maybe you give the sheik a longer run uh and you carry the title into the summer andre comes wins the title and then if you get hulk hogan in 85 or 86 uh assuming that that first wrestlemania works out imagine if hulk hogan came in you know remember he left in 81 with as a heel with fred blassie as his manager imagine hulk hogan coming in and 1987 happens with WrestleMania three, and you have Andre the Giant, the face champion, undefeated against Hulk Hogan with Fred Blassie in his corner, or Bobby Heenan at the time. Wouldn't that be something? Um, you know, the the problem is you alluded to. You know, back then Vince was kind of a you know wanted a face champion, and you know they tried it a little bit when, you know, Andre came, came back, uh, uh, you know, as a machine, everybody knew who it was and they kind of tried a little bit to, to turn Andre when he, you know, had Bobby managing him. But at that time, you know, I, I, I don't know if that scenario, if, you know, WrestleMania at the Silver Dome would have been, you know, as as big. Um, and I think I uh, just as I thought about the results, you know, you were keeping me appraised all week. I think a lot of people may have looked at the poll if the question had actually been if there was any one wrestler back in the day when WWF went national that you wanted to see who would that have been then i think the answer probably would have been and and should have been andre because he was so unique but in terms of taking it and building it i i don't think they would have had near the success they had with hulk with the they would have had with andre no i i totally agree with you and i I'm not sure it would have been as successful. And I don't think, you know, probably in a lot of ways, we're not here where we're, we're at now and wrestling might've never had that first, you know, big boom, but um, yeah, it would have been, it would have been interesting. I think Hulk Hogan not coming over uh, creates a, a real different scenario. And, And I was racking my brain, Ken, and I'm sure you were over the week 
uh, to really think about who could have done it. And I was just replaying in my mind the events that led up to, you know, January of 84. You had Backlund as the champion. I don't think that Vince keeps Backlund as the champion in any scenario, taking that company national because Bob Backlund wasn't even generating great crowd responses in some parts of the Northeast. So I don't think that would have worked. I, I think that, and it's, it's controversial and, and listen, the, the, the guy and his wife were dear friends of mine. I traveled a lot with them. Um, barring any controversy with the, um, you know, the, uh, murder ac- accusations, but Jimmy Superfly Snooka, if, if Snooka didn't get into trouble, Jimmy Snooka was a guy that I, I think might have been able to do it. He wasn't a talker. Um, he was charismatic, but Jimmy Snooka is somebody who I thought, well, if he didn't have the trouble that he had where they had to part ways a little while, maybe Jimmy Snooka could have carried the company for a little bit. This is Lance Storm, and if I can be serious for a minute, you're listening to VOC Nation Worldwide. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts also include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hicks, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Wirtz. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirtz, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. Both shows take callers live during the show, and recent guests have included... General Adnan, Tito Santana, Haku, Earl Hebner, Dangerous Danny Davis, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Brodus Clay, and so many more. Archive free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter, at VOC Nation. Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists and more. We have excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOC Nation. Wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey. The morning after, right here on the VOC Nation Radio Network. Brady Hicks and... Homeboy Rap Boy here. I tell you what, we got a good show right here in the afternoon at 12 o'clock. Eastern Standard Time on the VOC Nation. Talking wrestling, football, news, whatever's going on in the world today. VOCNation.com. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, 
and wrestling, check it out, VOCNation.com, WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Um, you know, again, I, I, I don't see Jimmy Snuka. Yes, he was charismatic in the ring at the arena, but wasn't a great talker. And I think you could apply the same standard to Jimmy as you did with Andre, that Jimmy's interviews were not going to talk anyone into buying a ticket. And I think in order, you know, and remember, for Vince to to be able to do what he did as successfully as he did, you needed all components. You needed someone that was a, a great talker, whose interviews were passionate, that could drive people to, you know, buy the tickets. Because remember, this takeover was happening prior to pay-per-views. Right, right. So you needed someone on their interviews that could sell tickets, get people to come to the event. Then you needed someone whose charisma would reinforce to people that they're glad they came to see him. And you needed someone who was still good enough in the ring during the match itself to produce a great match and product. So you really needed all three facets. And, you know, I I would say Jimmy certainly had two of those, but I, I think, to you know, accomplish what he did, you'd need you would have needed someone that had all three facets. And you don't think people would have come to see Snooker because at that time, you know, there was really no high flyers. So would people have come to see Snooker jump off the top rope? Well, you have to remember that you would have needed. You know, you you couldn't have had the success Vince did. You know, going nationwide without with just the passionate wrestling fan you needed someone who could talk the casual wrestling fan or non-wrestling fan into buying a ticket and like i said jimmy at the arena certainly you know had the charisma and you know his high flying moves <clears throat> would have impressed the crowd but Jimmy himself would not have been able to talk them, you know, the casual or non-fan into coming to see him. Those that did would have been rightfully impressed, but I think you needed someone that that could do, you know, all three because it didn't matter, you know, how charismatic you were at the arena. It didn't matter how good the matches were if you weren't, if the fans weren't there to see it. So, you, you know, it's like you can't build a great house without a, a good foundation. And it was the, the promos and the television motivating people to buy a ticket and come to the arena that was most important because it didn't, didn't matter how great your match was. If somebody wasn't there to see it, they weren't going to be impressed. Yeah, no, fair enough. And, and good point there on somebody that had to transcend 
the wrestling business. And that was, that was why Hulk Hogan was so important. Uh, let's look at the other two guys on the survey, uh, Sergeant Slaughter. So Sergeant Slaughter crossed over into the mainstream was part of GI Joe, a big part of GI Joe. And, uh, and he had some mainstream press. Could Sergeant Slaughter have been the guy to carry the WWF belt, you know, play the all American role, do you think that Sergeant Slaughter could have could have done that? Maybe not as good as Hogan, but could he have carried the torch for a little while? Yeah, I, I would say there's a few others that I think would have been better, but I I do think Sarge could have because you know his you know GI Joe gung ho interviewers interviews would have talked people into coming to the match. Uh, he had the charisma, you know, coming to the ring. You know, wasn't a, a real high flyer, but, you know, neither w was Hulk. So I think Sarge could have. And in terms of, you know, to this day, Sergeant Slaughter is the only real life character that actually was included in the G.I. Joe, Joe toys, the G.I. Joe movie. So that would have been a big segment of the market because kids would have been bugging their parents to take them so they could see Sergeant Slaughter that they saw in the comic books, that they, whose toys they were playing with, whose, you know, they were seeing in the G.I. Joe movie, kids would have been motivating their parents that they wanted to go see Sergeant Slaughter in person. So I would say Sarge could have certainly carried it, probably not to the degree of Hulk, but I would say, yes, Sarge could have done that. And I do want to hear who you think would have been the person, uh, but I do want to get to uh, Dusty Rhodes and then some of the fans' responses, and then we'll close out this week with uh, with your rebooking of 1984. Dusty Rhodes, Ken. So Dusty, um, <laughs> quite famously, uh, thinks highly of himself. And, and listen, God bless Dusty Rhodes. Rest in peace. One of the most charismatic wrestlers of all time. You know, to me, I, you know, as a kid, I, I grew up in the eighties, you know, not having cable and, and, uh, uh, having WWF television syndicated on the TV. I had no idea who Dusty Rhodes was until really 1989 when he donned polka, don polka dots and came to the WWF television. Uh, to me, Dusty Rhodes as popular as he was down south, by the time that the 83 came along, 84, he was winding down. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't, um, you know, a spring chicken anymore. And uh, he was out of shape. And I, I just don't think it would have worked for that WWF model. Um, and I, I agree with you. And along those lines, I, I kind of take, myself out of commenting you know one it, i i've always been sad dusty was one of the the great legends of the game that i i never ever got a chance to to even meet but i was you know back in those days in the same boat you were that you know we're talking about if if hulk had never left in you know 1985 well you know the nwa wasn't on TV in the upper Midwest. So, you know, I was familiar with Dusty a little bit through the magazines. So, you know, I didn't really see him in his prime to, 
I guess, you know, I, I don't have the horizon line to, to really make an informed comment about him, whether or not he could have done that. All right, here's a few on Twitter. Podcast about nothing says, definitely Andre or he would have run with Piper as the charismatic heel champion until Savage came along. So remember, Randy Savage didn't get to the WWF until I think 85. Uh, so he's saying Andre until... Uh, Piper or Savage took the range. What do you think about that? I mean, obviously um, we talked about Andre, but Piper as a heel, I, I'm not sure Vince would have gone with a heel champion. Yeah, I, I I agree with you there. And, you know, understand this. In terms of wrestling, Vince McMahon has been nothing but a phenomenal success that – I think Vince would have been smart enough to not begin this move until he felt he had the guy that could get him, if you will, to the promised land. Uh, and I think uh, certainly his his great mic skills, his interviews, Piper's Pit, if Vince had decided to go with Roddy Piper – it would have been after a face turn. I don't think, uh, and you know, it's the old adage, you know, in, in wrestling, you always want to send the crowd, you know, home happy. Uh, and I don't think you could have really begun that, you know, kind of national <clears throat> takeover, if you will, with a heel champion. I totally, uh, totally agree there. And I don't think that Vince, Vince would have went went that way uh brady hicks our our old friend uh, our new friend and our our uh forever friend <laughs> says barry windham so barry windham's an interesting choice barry was once one of the uh, blue chippers in professional wrestling could barry have crossed over and become a huge star say well before i comment on that I, i've got to ask because i know you track this uh, am I still leading Brady in t-shirt sales? You are leading Brady in t-shirt sales. And I, I'm not sure Brady's at a point where he'll ever catch up. I, I mean, <laughs> God help us. Who would ever buy that shirt? Um, Barry Windham, uh, actually I would say of everybody we have talked about was probably the best in ring talent of those we've talked about. Um, but Barry was kind of a quiet guy. Um, you know, I don't think Barry, you know, and I did, you know, many with him. <clears throat> Barry didn't really love doing the interviews. So I, uh, as much as, uh, <clears throat> I, you know, I respect Brady's opinion in, in all seriousness. Barry was one of those that, you know, he had the physical size, everything else, the great, you know, tremendous you know in-ring matches but Barry I I don't think would have had or enjoyed doing the kind of promos to get people or motivate people to buy the tickets and I go back you know to not to beat a dead horse but in order to do this Vince was certainly smart enough to no, he needed all three facets of someone to build as a face of the company, you know, going towards a national uh, takeover. 
and, and Ken, uh, I just want to remind everybody because uh, you alluded to it. Uh, you can go to vocnation.com and you can get your Keller Ken Resnick Made It Real t-shirt. So click on the left-hand side in the VOC Nation shop. It'll take you to Pro Wrestling Tees. You can get your Ken Resnick t-shirt. You're in the room with Brady Hicks t-shirt. You get your VOC Nation t-shirt. There's shirts for all of our talent. Shelly Martinez. You have... Um, uh, <laughs> why, why can't I think today? Shelly Martinez. Uh, uh, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff there. <laughs> Kathy Fitz from Brady's show has her own shirt. Go figure. Uh, go on to the pro wrestling tees. Ta- talking about having those skills to motivate people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I couldn't resist. <laughs> and the straw. I was, I was going to say the straw has a couple of shirts. So go to VOCNation.com, get your T-shirt today, and while you're there, check out all the fine programming at VOC Nation. Now part of the Advertise Cast family of podcasts. Ken, uh, I'm just going to read some of these names. We're running out of time, and I want to get your your take on how you would have uh, done it in 1983-84. So some other names that were mentioned, the Junkyard Dog, Muhammad Ali, uh, Sergeant Slaughter. I'm I'm looking down for unique names. Bret Hart. There's another Dusty Magnum TA. And then um, here's something. And 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 this is uh, an African American person that said this. So I want to read it and read it with that context. 1983 was a different time in America and the business. The only way WWF becomes what it is now is with a large, charismatic white guy who was new enough to the world of pro wrestling to not be married to the ways of the territory system. That's from Chris Best. Um, well, obviously it would have had to have been someone that, you know, was willing to kind of, uh, you know, forget the, the unwritten rule and uh, go after, you know, the, the other territories. Um, you know, we're, we're talking, you know, 83, 84, 85. Um, he's probably right. Uh, in, in that the majority of the crowds in those days, you know, were predominantly Caucasian, right. uh, you know, much like, uh, there, there weren't that many African-American wrestlers, uh, just like, you know, back in, in the, you know, mid eighties, there weren't many African-American hockey players because it was a, you know, predominantly white crowd. So for those days, you know, in those years, I I would say, yeah, yeah, I mean, he's, he's probably right. You know, the one thing that I, I disagreed with is, I mean, in the South, the junkyard dog was, was so over and so popular. And I know he had his, his problems, you know, he had his problems with drugs and, um, you know, by, I guess by that time he had started to decline in, in his health and his fitness. But I thought it made me think that the junkyard dog could have potentially done that. I know there would have been an uphill battle with, you know, I mean, race relations weren't what they were, what they are. Well, I was going to say weren't what they are today back then, but it might, who knows? I mean, it, you could argue that it's worse. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's an interesting thought. And uh, I mean, to me, I think JYD, 
might have been somebody that Vince could have gotten some legs out of. Uh, well, remember, you know, I, I went to WWF in, in 86 and, you know, I, I got a chance to work with JYD as, you know, his interviews were good. And he still had some pretty good talent in the ring. I mean, he had some good angles and, uh, you know, he worked on top or, or around the country. So, uh, but again, um, yeah, what the previous comment was about, uh, you know, going national and, and kind of, you know, blowing across the, the norms that it, it had been established. Uh, don't know if race relations at that point, um, if, if JYD could have been the guy. Right. Uh, I, <clears throat> But yeah, I, I loved working with with JYD, and even you know eighty six, eighty seven. I mean, he worked on top and had some you know great ang. I mean, he had a pretty good angle with Hulk going for a while. Sure. Um, yeah. So he could he could certainly you know work. And you know one other thing we really haven't talked about, <clears throat> where yeah, there were some other people that you know could have been the the flag bearer you know other than Hulk if he hadn't have come, but like someone like the junkyard dog in order to do that vince knew and was smart enough to know he needed a number of superstars that you know just one guy alone could be the face of the company but he whoever that guy was was going to need a pretty large supporting cast and even when I came, you know, 86, 87, 88, Junkyard Dog was a big part of that supporting cast. Absolutely. Well, Ken, uh, we're, we're at that point in the show uh, with the last few minutes. Tell us how you would have done it. How does the AWA change if Hulk Hogan stays put in 1984? And what happens in the WWF? And you might have uh, given us a preview when you said that it might have been on pause. Vince might not have done anything. What, what happens in Ken Resnick's world? Uh, well, I think if, if Hulk had stayed, the, the reason, one of the reasons he would have stayed was if he was given the belt. Uh, so that certainly would have changed the trajectory of the AWA. I think it would have remained relevant longer, but at some point I think Hulk would have gone, uh, and, you know, Vince was going to do this. Uh, and to me, the, the obvious choices, and I'm, I'm surprised no one has, has it, it hasn't been mentioned in the poll, or at least not a sizable amount. Um, if Hulk had not gone, I'm almost certain Vince would have gone after Ric Flair. Ric yes. Flair could have yeah. certainly done it. He had the interviews, he had the charisma, I mean, the robes, when he came out, what he was able to do in the ring. Uh, if it had not been Hulk, I think Ric Flair could have done it. You know, obviously he he would have been a face, he would have been great. Uh, I, I think Vince would have had the, the same success with Ric Flair <clears throat> if he hadn't been able to get Ric. Uh, I think it would have been the Macho Man. Because the same thing, Macho Man had the passion, uh, different style, but still had the passion <clears throat> on the interviews. He had Miss Elizabeth. He came out with the robes to pop and circumstance. 
So Hulk, the nature boy, the macho man, even before the match, those were three. As soon as they made their appearance in the main arena to the crowd, they were just larger than life. So I I think it, it would have been, if not Hulk, he would have gone after Ric Flair or, you know, realized what he could build around the Macho Man. And I mean, if, if you think about it, uh, you know, Macho Man has been gone, I don't know how many years, but you still hear his snap into a Slim Jim. Yeah. So he had all the facets as well. So for my money, uh, those would have been the, the, the top three. Um, Jake, the snake certainly had the interviews. Uh, you know, I don't know that the snake itself would have played to the degree that Hulk or flair or macho man, uh, same with Ricky, the dragon. But like I said, Vince was, you know, hugely successful, very astute. Uh, and he knew not only did he have to have the man, but he had to have a huge supporting cast. And, and, you know, he certainly look at all the stars that he built around Hulk. Sure. Oh yeah. Well, Piper being one of them, Bob Orton, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, that was somebody I thought about that, that had the the, the look and, and could talk as well. You know, I was, I was also thinking, Ken, if Hulk Hogan stays in the AWA, and I know we're running out of time, if Hulk Hogan stays in the AWA and Fern, you know, the, the, the uh, Pro Wrestling America, I think that's what it was called, Pro Wrestling USA TV deal takes off, maybe it's completely different. And the, the, the Jim Crockett and Vern Gagne and the, and the NWA with Hulk Hogan as their centerpiece uh, overtakes, you know, they take Vince McMahon's idea and one up them. And, and that's what happens. I mean, could that have been a reality if, if uh, that, that big jump never happened? Um, I doubt it only because without Vince doing what he did, um, Vern was not the businessman Vince was. If, Vince hadn't had the guy or been able to mount that, you know, taking WWF nationwide. I'm not so sure where we wouldn't still be in territory days today. You know, I don't know if anyone else would have, uh, tried to do what Vince did. Um, you know, maybe, uh, Ted Turner to a degree, you know, on WTBS, but I I think if Vince had not, you know, done what he did and, you know, blow up the, the unwritten rules, I would say it's more likely than not that we would maybe even to a degree still be kind of in the territory days. Yeah, you and you might be right, and cable TV might might have changed that a little bit, but it, it it would certainly be a lot different than than it than it turned out to be. One final question, Ken, regarding Ric Flair. So, if Ric Flair was the guy and he came over uh, with uh, with everything that we know about Ric Flair, would he have been uh, a babyface? Would they have turned Ric Flair into a 
you know, the famous Vince McMahon babyface, or is is he like a cool heel type character that uh, that crosses over? Uh, I again, I I don't think it could have been done to the degree of success Vince did it having a heel as a face. I think they would have turned, um, you know, and away from the ring. I mean, Rick loved the spotlight. He was great with people. You know, he would have been a, a just a, a natural uh, baby face. But I think in order to go nationwide, Vince was smart enough as a businessman to know starting out, you know, to get the fans coming, to, to get them involved and cheering, that it would have had to have been a baby face. There you go. From the mind of Ken Resnick wrestling with history. One more time. Uh, we put this episode in the books and we recap the rebooking of 1984 in the sense that if Hulk Hogan never jumped from the AWA to the WWF next week, we're going to look back at Starcade 1984. We're going to run down that card, talk about some of the people that were on that card and talk about uh, life from the, I, from the viewpoint of the NWA as all of this stuff is happening. Talked a lot about, you know, WWF and AWA because uh, Ken was in the AWA and Ken also was personal friends with a lot of the people that ended up leaving to go help Vince go national. But we'll both uh, look into what was happening in the NWA because we know that many of you would like to hear about that. A lot of people writing in saying that they'd like to hear more NWA talk. So we'll do our best to cover that next week, staying in the year 1984. Remember, if this is the first time you're listening to the show, make sure you subscribe on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play. Give us a rating. Five stars is what we like. Give us a review. Tell us uh, what you like and what you don't like. You can follow VOC Nation at VOC Nation. Follow this show at Bruce VOC and interact with us. Tell us uh, what you liked and didn't like about the show and uh and tell us what you want to hear us talk about in the weeks to come we'll we'll finish up 1984 next week and we'll get into 85 which is of course wrestlemania is uh we're on the dawn of the wrestlemania era and uh, we're having a lot of fun doing this so that's it for this week for killer ken resnick my name is the voice of choice bruce work we'll be back next week and we'll be on uh, it's our final week before we move over to the advertised cast platform thanks for listening this is is wrestling with history on the VOC Nation radio network. Randy Macho Man Savage has regained the championship. Right here is the future of wrestling.